Welcome to Nortonville Baptist Church Podcast. This is Pastor Lee Davis. We are a church that exalts, equips, evangelizes, and encourages. We hope that you are blessed by the message today. Thanks for listening. You have kind of caught a running theme this morning. As we've talked about God's great love for us. He's our living hope. He's great. He showed us that on the cross. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. How deep the Father's love for us. This this idea that we're to be different from the world, and the one way we are different from the world is by showing others our love. In the last few weeks, we have been uh, in 1 John, and we're continuing to be in 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to read through the whole chapter but I'm not preaching the whole chapter, okay? So go ahead and just kind of calm down there. Um, but we're talking about counterfeit Christians and how we can tell the difference. So let me just read through it real quick, starting in verse 1, and you'll kind of see where we're going uh, with this. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. And such we are, for this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he, God, is pure. Everyone who practices sin and also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has been has seen him or has known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous because he, our God, is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his sin abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. This next verse is our focus verse we'll come back to. But this, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was an evil one, and slew his brother. And for this reason did he slay him, because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because the love of the brethren. Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and the one that is no and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods, possessions, and wealth, and, and, and beholds the brother in need and, and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. 
We, all, we shall know by, by this that we are the, of the truth and shall assure our heart before him. And whatever our heart or our emotions or our feelings bring condemns us, for God is greater than any emotion that we can have. He is greater than our heart, and he knows all. Behold, in our heart does not, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he, uh, and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would just uh, allow us to just to pull out the truth of your word this morning. And it's your name I pray. Amen. Last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of things. Talked about what it means to be a cultural Christian. And we talked about how you can play the role of a Christian, take the name of a Christian, do the things that a Christian does, but yet your heart truly is not his. We, we only bring God into the equation and Jesus into, into the equation when it's convenient for us. We talked about last week the spirit of the Antichrist, how even a believer can harbor the spirit of an Antichrist, one who actually is against Christ by the way that he lives his life and the way that he presents himself to the world around him. We also talked about how those who profess to walk in light, yet they truly are walking in darkness. It says that we, if we obey God, but are avoid from loving and knowing him, we make ourselves and God a liar. So we talked a lot about that the last couple of chapters, about this, this idea of are we truly his or are we truly the devil's? And this morning we look at verse uh, 10, and it says, It is obvious who is the children of God and the children of the devil by these two things, practice righteousness and loving the brethren. But I'm t- so how do we know if we're a counterfeit Christian? If you are not convinced that you truly know God, if you are not certain that heaven is your destination when you leave this place, at least we can agree upon this this morning, that those who walk among us are not always a part of us. There are some who are going to claim to be believers and Christians until the day that they die and they will never have truly known who Jesus Christ is, never fully surrendered their life to him, never repented of their sins, never been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. They simply want the name, the title, the recognition, the benefits, the blessings, but they do not want to surrender their life to him. These are counterfeits. Matthew 13 says this, that when the, when the workers were sleeping, the enemy came in and sowed tares, sowed uh, weeds into the harvest. And now when they woke up, they see that in the middle of the harvest, there was the, the grain and there was the weeds. And they couldn't pull up the weeds because if they did, they would pull up some of the harvest as well. And say, they, so they said, let it grow together. And at the end of time when Jesus comes again, he will sort out those that are truly his and those that are not. And so there are many people that have lived the Christian life, who walked the Christian faith, who truly have never surrendered their life and been cleansed of their sin, and that we will never know who they are, but Jesus will take care of them when that time comes. There's going to be many that says, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not perform miracles? And he's going to say, put apart from me those who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. 
They've been around, the, the weeds have been growing with the, the wheat so much that they have convinced themselves they are wheat, but they're not. But here's the thing, is I could sit here all day long and focus on all the things that we shouldn't do, right? And that's kind of what we do. That's what, that's, that's what sometimes that's called for, is to point out someone's error. The scripture says to rebuke your brother, to correct your brother, and save them from a multitude of sins. But many times we get so caught up in, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And we get this big, long list of, of rules that we have to follow. This past week, I was talking to uh, a lady. Uh, she had a teenage son. And uh, she asked her teenage son. He's been doing some things that he shouldn't have been doing and hanging out with the crowd he shouldn't be hanging out with and getting really close to getting some dangerous territory and making some really poor choices. So she asked him, she goes, what does it look like to be a teenager who is a believer and follower of God? And what does it look like to be an unsaved teenager? And he didn't want to answer at first, and she kept on asking, and he goes, he goes finally, after a while, he said, Mom, I'll indulge you, and I'll answer your question. A Christian teenager doesn't drink and doesn't do drugs. Well, yeah, I would agree with that statement. But that's all that it takes. If you don't do these two things, you're golden. You're okay. You're fine. And that's what we've done. We have our own list that we have accumulated over our lifetime. And it's based upon our friends, our preferences, our, our parents. And they've told us these things. Don't use foul language. Don't cuss. Don't go out and get drunk. Don't get caught. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Don't have an abortion. Don't support those things like abortion. You know, support the, the proper values. Vote your morals. Just a list. Here's what this list was in the Bible. The Ten Commandments were given. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. And so here we have this list of all the things you should not do. And we get kind of caught up on that train sometimes, right? The world knows what all the Christians are against. But do they really know who we're for? I think that's a, a big problem in our society today. Is they don't know who we're for. They know who we're against, but not who we're for. Don't do this. Don't do that. They go to church. You can't wear these kind of clothes. You can't do this. You got to sing these type of songs. And you, I mean, you have to do all these things, these, these legalistic rules, these man-made rituals that we, that we go through. And we have them here, too. They're not as bad as some places. You know, that, that you have to do this thing a certain way. This is the way we've always done it. Right? The rules of things that you're not supposed to do. And, and the scripture does tell us the things that we're not supposed to do. But it also tells us things that we, how we are, are and ought to live. We're to focus on what a child of God is for, not against. What a child of God looks like. Because there's a lot of things that you can abstain from. But there's also a lot of things that you are to do according to his word. So before we look at verse 10... I want us to define what sin is. Because here in verse 6 and 9, it says, verse 6, No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, here's the problem here. Who sins in here? All right, we're in trouble. Okay? Because if anyone who sins, they don't, haven't seen him or knows him. 
I don't believe that to be true in this sense. This is what the text means, okay? I'm not saying I don't believe the passage of Scripture. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we need to understand what that means. In the Greek, that word sin means to to sin continually for it to be habitual in our life, to be a way of life for us. Because it's very clear that that is not the case, that, that, that believers do not sin. That, that it's very clear that we do sin. Verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin. This practices sin habitually. That's what that means, to continue in their sin. Because his, sin abides in him, his seed abides in him, he cannot continue to live in that way, continue to live in that sin, because he is born of God. What it's saying is, is yes, we will, we will still fail and we will falter in our sin, but we are not to continue in that sin. If you're truly a born-again believer, that sin will, well, we will strive for that sin to cease. Here's how I know that we will still sin as believers. 1 John chapter 1, 18, uh, 8 through uh, 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's talking to believers. If you say you still don't have any sin, you're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. But if we confess our sins, verse 9, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. It is foolish for us to think that this flesh that He has given us, this flesh that has been cursed because of our disobedience in the garden, has any power and authority to defeat sin itself. As long as we have this little meat suit here that we have on earth, we will continue to sin. It'll be a battle, our fleshly nature against the nature of the Spirit. For the things that I want to do, I do not do. The things I do not want to do, I find myself doing, is what Romans chapter 7 tells us. We're constantly going to be in battle with this curse of sin in our life. John 1, First John chapter 2, verse 2 no, verse 1, sorry. I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. I don't want you to continue in your sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. So you're not supposed to sin. You're not supposed to continue in your sin. But I know you are. And so when you do sin, there's an advocate in Jesus Christ who will stand in on your behalf. So this idea that we are expected to be um, sinless it's, 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 it's impossible for us to do because of our flesh. But we are expected to sin less, to strive to be like Christ. This Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is a picture of how we can do that. It talks about how, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Every day we are to lay our bodies and our minds and our hearts down at the throne of God and say, Lord, they are yours, acceptable to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. By, okay, And do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Every day we have to go back to the throne of God and renew our minds and our bodies and our hearts to, to conform to His will and not to the will of the world. So we will continue to sin. We will make mistakes. Look at this list in the scripture. Abraham lied. Moses lost his temper. Jacob was a cheater. David committed adultery and was a murderer. Noah got drunk. Paul was a murderer. Elijah battled depression. 
Peter was a loudmouth who denied Jesus. Add your name to this list. But here's something about this list that I want you to be aware of. This list was not the normal behavior for that character. Okay? The, the sin was out of character. It was a hiccup. It was a blip on their radar. Sin it was. Absolutely it was sin. But sin was not their habitual lifestyle. This was a moment of weakness. Noah, after being faithful to God his entire life, got, got, uh, got into a tent and made a huge mistake and got drunk there in his tents. We see Jacob. Jacob was a man faithful. His name was changed to Israel. It's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And God populated the entire earth with his people, that with the, with the children of God, his chosen. But yet it was... Deception it was deception that got him the birthright and the blessing. Moses was so faithful. While he may have committed murder earlier in his life, God still used and transformed him, and he led the people through the wilderness. And he was faithful to go to God. He was faithful to, to be a judge to them. He was a faithful to lead them in a very godly way. But can you imagine dealing with 20, uh, 2 million people who complained all the time, and Moses just lost his cool and struck the rock. And he says, you can't enter into the promised land. Abraham Trusted God enough to go to another country, but whenever he came to Egypt and he was afraid that they were going to take his wife away, he said, she's my sister, and he lied about who she was. Down the list I could go of all the times, but the thing is, is they are all listed in Hebrews 11 as those who are faithful and, and had faith in God and withstood the test that the world threw at them, but yet we also have a list here of all the mistakes they made. And this was after they began to follow God. And you, even though you've, uh, you were saved at 7 or 17 or 70, you will fail, you will falter, you will make mistakes. You are not sinless, but we are to strive to be to, to sin less. We're only able to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you continue in your sin, it's a sign that you never truly knew Him. Because the unsaved, they, might, they could profess to be a believer, but if they continue to live in habitual sin, they are not truly one of His. So let's look at the verse real quick. Chapter 3, verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Obvious. Not let's squint our eyes and figure out which one's which. It's going to be obvious. It's going to be clear. There's going to be no question about it. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now the same thing we talk about with sin, being continual sin, that's what it means to practice righteousness. They're going to have a habit to do righteousness. Sin is going to be far and few between. It's going to be a mistake that they will confess before God and admit before others. That's what their life is going to look like. And we all know this, that for something to be habitual, something needs to go into it. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, the second part of that, it talks about, um, well, I'll read the whole thing, but, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. 
anytime that you are an athlete or you have any kind of uh, skill or um, pra- um, thing you like to do, even hunting or anything like that, you have to practice at it. You have to learn the ins and the outs. You have to, you get to go. They say that the athletes who are the ones that are the most successful, they're the ones that show up at the gym before everybody else does and are shooting free throws. They're the ones that stay after and try to figure out what they've done wrong. And you always see them working and honing their skills. It's the weightlifters. They don't go in one day and say, all right, I'm a bodybuilder. I'm going to go up here. I want to pick up 2,000 pounds and just do like this. No. Day after day, small amounts, large amount, rep after rep after rep. Lifting those weights, building those muscles, training their body, disciplining themselves to do the work that they desire. And if we are going to practice righteousness, like it tells us there in verse, in verse 10, we are going to have to put the work in. And that means a couple of things. We have to study God's Word. And I'm not talking about an open windows. Now, they're not bad. I'm not saying nothing against open windows or a book. But a little page this big that you read is not going to feed your soul. It is not going to raise up a person who's disciplined in the Word. That's not enough meat. That's just a little bitty bottle of milk. And God wants us to move past the milk and move to something that has more substance to it. And so in order to train ourselves, we have to continue to be in God's Word day after day. But not only that, but meditate on God's Word. If all you can do right now, if you're saying the only thing I can commit to God is that open windows. I don't have time for anything else. Well, first off, that's a big honking lie, okay? We, have, we make time for what we want time for, okay? That's true. You can say you're lying. Well, you can be wrong. That's all you want. We all make time for what we enjoy, okay? But if that's your excuse... I'm going to say meditate. That one verse that you read in open windows, you should be constantly thinking about that verse all day long. What does that verse mean? What else could it mean? What is he trying to teach me in this verse? You know, and every single word, dissecting it. As you go through your day, as you're driving your car, as you're at work on the factory line, wherever you might be, you can be pondering on that one verse, trying to get as much nutrition out of it as possible. So if you don't have time to get in the Word and read for 30 minutes, all you got is five, you can definitely have your mind dwelling on Him all day long and meditating on His Word. You definitely can do that. Prayer. Spending time with Him in prayer. That is a discipline. How many people, uh, or maybe maybe you, have had this trouble? I know that I have. To, to get on your knees and to pray before God. And then once you've said everything that you think you need to say, to sit there and just listen and in the quietness, what do you find yourself doing? You either fall asleep or your mind wanders someplace else and before you realize it, going, okay, what was I, what was I talking, talking to God about? Right? To discipline yourself to, to spend it says that the Lord went up to the mountain. He would spend hours in prayer before with, his, with his God the Father. Can you imagine? Can you imagine sitting down for an hour and praying? I have done it, not a whole lot at a time, right? Because when I get to about 30 minutes, whew, I'm just like, man, I'll, I'll pray. And I'll, 
uh, when we did those fasting things at the church a while back, I'd get down there and I was sitting there and I'm praying and praying and praying. And I said all kinds of stuff. I prayed for every one of you guys and, and your legs and your toes and your fingers. And I prayed for everything. And I looked at my watch and I was like, it's been five minutes. <laughs> right? It's discipline to spend time with the Father sometimes. And then sometimes just, be, just to be silent and to hear him speak to you. To open his word and just kind of read through his word. Just waiting for the Lord to speak to you in prayer. It's discipline. It takes, it takes practice. From when a new believer comes and gives her life to the Lord, and we say, well, read your Bible. Here's the Bible. Good luck. No, we need to help train them and discipline them on how to be in the Word. But then fellowship. When we get out of fellowship with other believers, sometimes it's hard to get back into fellowship. We've created another alternate habit in our life. Because what happens is, is when we, if you're trying to quit smoking or quit doing something like that, you remove one habit. If you do not replace it with a godly habit, Satan's going to fill it with something. Okay? He's going to. If you finally free up some time to be in God's Word, before you know it, you're going to have another hobby that you're doing. Someone's going to call you up and say, well, can you do this? Well, can you go here? Satan's going to fill that, vo- time of, uh, that time with something, that void. So we need to replace it with things that are of God. But discipline ourselves. Discipline ourselves. And here's the goal, verse 2. Behold, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet that we shall, what we shall be. We know that when He appears, when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see him just as he is. This is the goal, that we be just like Christ. Look at, um, look at verse 3. And everyone who has the hope fixed on him will purify himself just as he is pure. Why are we pure? Because he is pure. Look down at verse uh, 7. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Why is he righteous? Because Jesus is righteous. Jesus is our example. He is our model to follow. We're pure because he is pure. We're holy because he is holy. We are righteous because he is righteous. I'm going to read verse uh, 18 and 19 to you, but it's going to be a different translation. It's one that's going uh, to kind of Help us understand what it means. The New Living Translation, it says this. Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Your actions prove where you're disciplined at, not your words. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. I have known a lot of people growing up as a guy, you know, on the basketball court playing pickup games, okay? And what I've learned is there is always one, at least one, sometimes more, that like to talk a lot of trash. You know what I'm talking about? I'm awesome. I'm cool. You ain't going to get by me. Ooh, I took you to school. You know, all that old that stuff, right? There's always one of them that's doing that. And what I have found is this, 
is that's usually the person that ain't no good. Right? They're the ones that like to talk and talk and talk. But if he really wanted to prove that he was better, that he, was, that he, was, that he, had, that he had the skills and the, and to play and to compete, he's going to show us by their actions. That's why I can't stand in college basketball. I don't care if it's UK or, or my team, Carolina, because there's one guy on my team right now who, uh, that does it. Garrison Brooks does it all the time. He scores the basket. He's like, right? Was the basket not good enough to show you're a good player? You got to beat your chest? Oh, we don't need. No, that does nothing. Your actions, what you do, how you live, it proves, it proves that you belong to the truth of God and that you can stand confidently before Jesus one day. And that comes from practicing and discipline yourself to righteousness. And the last thing, the second thing here, is we are to love our brother. That's what we, do. we sang about all morning long was the love of God. Verse 14, if we, um, verse 14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren, and he who does not love abides in death. Move down to verse 16. We know love by this that we lay down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, we're to love what God loves. That is a sign that we are one of his children is that we love what he loves. And we talked about marriage this morning in Sunday school. If you were in Sunday school, you, you, um, we, we were in Ephesians chapter 5, talking about how a husband is to love her, his wife and give his life for his wife, to sacrifice his own needs to put hers before, because that's what Jesus did for the church. So here's the picture he's, uh, uh, he's painting, is that Jesus loves the church. The brethren is referring to a body of believers. It's referring to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's saying you're to love the brethren. You're to love them and care for them. And so if we are not loving the brethren, if we are abstaining from the fellowship, if we find other things to do throughout the, during the weekend and throughout the week, instead of serving and growing together and sharing our experiences with our brothers, then we are not loving the brethren the way God's called us to. And if this becomes a habitual habit in your life, it's a sign that you have not seen and have not known the Lord. These are strong statements because if we, our love for the church and our brethren is a sign that we have received new life through God. Because we are going to love what God loves. He laid his down his life for us so that we can lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's a way that you're not doing that, Okay. I, I didn't want to deal with the not list, but let me do one, okay? To sit in a pew, to leave and say, I've done my duty for the week, but you do not carry the fellowship of anyone in here with you outside the walls of the church. The only time that you really interact or see them or talk with them or text with them or pray with them or encourage them is on Sunday morning. You're not really fellowshipping. You're just here. There needs to be interact because guess what? Doing Christian life in the walls of the church is easy. It's out there that it's hard. And that's where we need each other out there. 
and we build the relationships here and carry that relationship and fellowship with us outside the walls of the church. Now, I'm not saying that you have to contact every person sitting in this room today, this week, and talk with them. But there's gonna, he's going to surround you with a, a, a cloud of witnesses, a, a circle of friends that's going to pray with you and, and love on you. And you can love on, them, love on them and pray with them. Jesus, again, is that example. He laid down our, his life for us. Verse 16, it says that. He laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our life for our brethren. Move back to verse 5. And he says, and you know that he appeared, that Christ appeared in order to what? To take away sins. To take away sins. He came and laid down his life for us so that he might take away our sins. Now, we can't lay our life down for our brethren, and we can't take away their sins. But here's what it tells us in verse 17. If we're going to live our life like Jesus, he can take away our sins, yes. But here's what we can do for our brethren. But whoever has the world's goods, whoever has been blessed in this world, who has possessions to spare, but closes his heart against his brother, who will not help a brother in need, how, how does the love of God abide in him? No one in this, in our, in our body of believers here should be in need. We have enough between us. If you've ever gone overseas, you know that. But we have enough between us in this room that we can take care of anything or any problem financially, right, that we face. It might mean sacrifice on one person's part to help another brother out, and hence is the problem. We don't want to give it up. And God says, that's going to show you if you're one of my children or not. So I end with this as we come and get ready for the invitation. Matthew 13, going back to the tares and the wheats. Have you been around the body so much that you're calling yourself one of the wheats? But in reality, you're just a tear, just a weed, pretending to be something you're not. A counterfeit Christian. You don't practice righteousness you have a, a lifestyle of habitual sin. You don't love the body of Christ or the brothers and sisters in Christ. You'd be fine without them. You just mark off the Sunday morning checklist. That's you. You need Christ this morning. You need to come to him and say, I can't save myself. I need to, be, I need to repent of my sins and ask you to come into my heart and my Lord and Savior so I can begin to have a life discipline to follow you. Don't wait till it's too late. You never know what tomorrow might bring. You might, not, you, might, you might not even make it home today. If you do that before you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, before you truly have surrendered to Him, then you'll spend eternity apart from Him in a place called hell. But hell wasn't for you. It's not intended for you. That's where you'll go if you do not turn your eyes upon Jesus. Respond as God leads. We stand and sing.